Welcome back to our growing experiment. We're here with Scott from Papa Propane. Scott, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? Sure. So uh, my name is Scott and uh, my company, Papa Propane, uh, without, it doesn't sell propane, but I specialize in off-grid propane installations. So uh, I've been working, I guess we'll start from the beginning. So I actually started in the gas industry, propane natural gas industry, when I was 17. We actually uh, requested the high school, let me out of school. I think it was all day or half days every Wednesday for a whole semester. And my dad actually taught the gas course that I went to. So I've had a gas ticket for almost half of my life now. Boy, it makes you feel old sometimes. Uh, so I've been in and out of the gas industry since then, but then seven years ago, my parents and North Bay bought Nipissing Propane, and I've been the store manager there ever since. Um, spending less time there now with my own company and letting them transition into not having me around. So I've been more of a full-time gas tech for the last seven years, and we specialize in uh, cottages, camps, off-grid homes, uh, places of water access, boat access. I think the only vehicle my dad hasn't taken to a place is a helicopter. He's taken a float plane, tons of different boats and barges, uh, canoe once maybe, Argo on land, Argo in the water. I think there might have been a time he had a jeep with those triangle tracks. Okay. So we've, we've, uh, oh, snowmobile. Uh, we've been uh, in the Nipissing area around a lot of really remote places where there's no way you're getting hydro out there. So a lot of appliances that people need uh, to, to live while they're out there, whether it's hunting or fishing or camping or just being with their family in the summer, uh, making sure that they've got uh, cold food with propane fridges, heat when it's cold, hot water, uh, propane lights, although more people are moving towards LEDs now, but there's still mm -hmm. tons of propane lights out there. And probably a handful of other things so that's what I'm bringing from Nipissing into the Sudbury area so uh, cottages and I've got uh, and I go everywhere so right now I was actually just talking today to somebody from Tomogamy which is about a two-hour drive from here mm -hmm. so I'm going to do work there done work down the French River already um, I've got a guy in Killarney as well and I'm I'll be probably going to the island, Manitoulin Island. Um, so pretty much the whole shoot and match. Right. Yeah, and so I mean like uh, that's one of those things that we have to face living here in Canada, right? Is that it's like extremely cold all the time. So we always have to be thinking about a source of heat. Yeah. And like from what I understand, natural gas and propane is a fairly efficient way to heat, right? Like I mean, yep. I think that's been partly how a lot of the Western countries have cut down on like their carbon emissions or, or uh, that kind of thing, right? Well, and if, here it's more of a cost issue because it depends mm -hmm. on how the electricity is being uh, produced. Like in, we have a hydroelectric here, which is pretty good for the environment overall, um, better than like burning coal, say. Right. But you'll get more efficient use out of natural gas at a plant that makes electricity out of turning turbines with natural gas firing turbines and everything, you're going to get more efficiency out of those than in your house. Mm -hmm. 
new furnaces nowadays are in your home, they're going to be 95 plus percent. Right. And what that efficiency means is how much heat that you put into the box that you call a furnace that gets transferred into the home and how much leaves the home. Mm -hmm. So a 95% efficient furnace is going to, let's say it's 100,000 BTUs, 95,000 BTUs stays in the house, 5,000 leaves the house. Okay. So electric heat is actually 100% efficient because none of it leaves the house. There's no venting, there's no stack, there's no pipe that brings out flue gases outside. So they're really efficient, but the problem in Ontario anyway is how expensive it is to keep with electricity. Mm -hmm. Right. So it, of the available options, propane and natural gas are really easy, provided that you can always get it. Mm -hmm. but yeah, they're, they're really efficient. They burn a lot more efficient than gasoline, like people with propane vehicles. I think, don't quote me on this, I think propane burns at about 105 or 108 octane. Okay. So you compare that with 87, 89, 91 for the regular and the up to the premium, whatever brand called it what. So it burns really efficiently. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, well, Luckily, in this area of the world, we've got a huge access to distributors of propane. And if you're in town, you get natural gas, which is always less expensive. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that, that octane part with the gas, that has to do with like how cleanly it burns, I guess? Yeah, so it's a knock value. Okay. You may have heard knock before. So nope. um, I don't understand it completely, but basically, if you were to take a... We just drove past one on the way here. A brand new 2022 Corvette okay. and put 87 octane into it. It's gonna, uh, not backfire, but you're gonna get clunks. You're gonna get sounds coming out of the engine. There are knocks, I guess is what they would technically call them. But the higher grade the gasoline, the more pure it is, I guess. Mm. So the, okay. the cleaner it burns. Mm. Um, so that's why premium gasoline performs a lot better than regular gasoline okay especially in supercars like i don't know what they use in nascar and f1 it's probably 100 octane or higher who knows it's like yeah. rocket fuel yeah yeah but uh yeah i don't know the exact one for propane in vehicles but i know it's over 100. well even if it isn't necessarily in vehicles it seems like propane would at least be a fairly efficient gas as well as natural gas right and yeah. then it becomes another thing that i think we found when talking to a lot of people it's actually uh, conserving as much energy as you can. So really, like say if you're using a natural gas heat source or a propane heat source, if you have sufficient insulation, you can retain a lot of the heat that you're using and use very little fuel. So it, it can mm -hmm. be a good alternative in a way that is cost efficient. It's certainly cost efficient for this area. Like yeah. Manitoba, as far as I know, because my cousin lives in Manitoba, their electricity is dirt cheap. Mm -hmm. Don't know why. Probably, <laughs> right. There's probably reasons. Um, so you could heat your whole house all winter with electricity mm -hmm. and you don't have to worry about uh, using natural gas, propane, wood, oil, any of that. Yeah. But beyond the expense, like if, if, uh, if hydro or electricity isn't a viable option, natural gas and propane are the next simplest ones and mm -hmm. efficient ones. Um, just cause you're not losing as much heat, right? With, with a wood stove, there, I love wood heat. It, it really warms up everything really well, mm -hmm. but you lose so much heat out the chimney. Your efficiency is really low. Right. Oil, the, it, the insurance companies just made that too expensive. 
So mm -hmm. you have to change your tank so many years now and the tanks are two or three grand starting price. Mm. Okay. So with propane, when you're doing uh, propane distributors, they'll put two 420s or 123s on your property or a 500 or a thousand, whatever size that they're not going to have to go fill up every two weeks. Mm -hmm. They're going to go a like few times a year. Liters or gallons, so about the same. Okay. Yeah. Because um, I don't know if they're imperial sized or metric sized, mm -hmm. the tanks themselves. Everything's sold in liters in Canada. Okay. Right. Um, but I don't. I don't sell the propane, so I don't. I don't know all that. Right. Right. So you're you're way more cost efficient and easier doing propane, especially in the rural communities, mm -hmm. if you've got access to propane. If you don't, right. you almost have to go with wood. But right. Well, that is actually something I was thinking about too uh, before the interview because a lot of people I knew back home who would live in more uh, rural areas that were like, because I lived in a small town, but then there was people who lived off from the main highway where I lived and they commonly used oil heat. And I was always mm -hmm. understanding that it was fairly cheap. I, I never really knew how efficient it was heat wise or fuel wise. So going back to the octane, fuel oil mm -hmm. that people used to heat oil in their homes is actually diesel. Oh, okay. I didn't it's know that. It's just colored. Okay, so like same thing on the farm, right? Like they'll have colored diesel so they can tell like a dyed diesel or whatever, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's it's number two fuel oil, which is diesel. Okay. So right now, using fuel oil with the price of diesel, right? Yeah. Holy moly! Yeah. I wouldn't want that bill. Was it? Like, I think I had seen somewhere it was two dollars and thirty cents a liter or something like that. I've uh, I've seen that two forty. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was over two fifty now. Yeah. So really, I mean. Uh, that's becoming less and less a, a way to go, right? Never, yeah. never mind the efficiency, just the cost is, is, is forbidden well, right yeah, there. Yeah, the cost of the tank itself, period. Right. And the cost of the uh, cost of the fuel oil itself. There's not as efficient oil appliances as there are natural gas and propane appliances. So you're not, mm. you can get high efficient oil burning appliances and are over 90%, but they still have a much, darker smoke one guy who used to install um, tons of oil furnaces and he switched over to natural gas and propane he said he's put some of those on and this was maybe this was years ago so maybe it's different now but he said this, the siding you could just see the the smoke stain on the siding of the building right because of how dirty the smoke was, that was yeah like the soot. just think it's more of an exhaust yeah so well, yeah, because that even like that makes me think of too. Like, um, you'll see those diesel trucks there sometimes where they really lay on the gas and they'll have that black that yeah. soot coming out the back, right? Yeah, and if they're burning basically the same fuel, and then you see the same thing. And because what I think lets those trucks do that is they're basically dumping a whole bunch of fuel in there and not burning it completely, and that's why you get the black smoke, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So then, my thinking would be say these oil furnaces are probably not super efficient because you got that black smoke. Now, yeah, so, they can balance them out pretty well and make mm -hmm. them relatively efficient, but it's still going to be low. Like propane appliances in with there's when there's off grid, because the reason you can get that high in efficiency is you capture the condensation that's created when you have a uh, combustion with a hydrocarbon. Okay, so, so this is what the propane mean? Yeah. So anytime you combust a hydrocarbon, which is fuel oil, propane, uh, charcoal natural gas, you're going to get two main uh, outputs. Yeah, outputs. You're going to get water vapor and carbon dioxide. Okay. So 
what high efficiency appliances do is they have the temperature of the flue gas so low that the water vapor actually condenses into the water substance, but because there's so much CO2, it's actually acidic. So it has to capture it in a very specific way. And usually it requires plastic venting, which is why you see so many plastic venting in houses now, for water heaters and for furnaces and all sorts of things. And it captures that extra BTU. So the number, the percentage of efficiency is about 80, between 82 and 83%, where you'll be able to vent without condensation. Okay. And then when you start getting condensation. So that's why you have to size like vent stacks up through the ceiling a certain size because if they're too big they might not vent properly if they're too small they might condense water and then you, it's usually a metal chimney so it can it corrodes and everything right so with the off-grid stuff that, that i sell you're gonna get max 75 80 percent efficiency mm -hmm. because it can't capture that condensate um, just because it usually requires a condensate pump or a good drainage system Right. to allow that to happen so um, so it's just not a setup that people are typically going to use when they're in that kind of setting right right because the whole point is i don't have electricity yeah mm -hmm. exactly yeah yeah because if you had electricity you can kind of manage that extra stuff if you don't have that you just need the furnace to go yep. so like that that reminds me too of like one thing like um so like we've been considering getting a generator recently if even only just to have a little electricity in the house to like power our fan for our furnace so like in say uh these off-grid settings that they can run without any electricity do they have a different way of like venting or whatever or like i'm, I'm misunderstanding yeah. something there I'm sure. so with a lot of the appliances that we have the direct the direct vent ones they'll mount right on the wall okay so there's empire is one brand that we carry they're manufactured in the states uh, they haven't changed the design in 30 plus years so all the parts are still the same you can get parts for stuff they look exactly like they did 20 years ago okay i serviced with my dad we serviced one last year the year before that was installed 19 years ago at the time never been serviced okay and looked as new yeah right so but they vent with a, what's called a concentric vent so there's a small vent in the interior and then a larger vent that surrounds it. Okay. So your flue ga gases go up the smaller internal uh, pipe and then the external one brings in all of your combustion air. So you're not exchanging room, room air you've paid to heat and losing that as well. Mm -hmm. That's why you get closer to that 80% efficiency. Right. Where if, uh, a wood stove that's not direct vent or a uh, stand freestanding unit that uses room combustion uh, room air for combustion you're going to get lower than 70 percent because you're losing heated room air as well as uh, heat generated from the appliance itself that you're losing out the stack because of thermal draft so they just mount right on the outside uh, on an outside wall and then they just vent straight through there's a termination on the outside and that's basically it you run the gas line to it you can get blowers for them if somebody has electricity and they want a blower to move the air around you can but mm -hmm. if the power goes out they'll operate just fine okay um, water heaters you can get direct vent like that as well so you can get one that's work on gravity pressure and direct vent so you don't have to put chimneys up through the ceiling which is excellent uh, you can get uh, yeah, heaters water heaters fireplaces that are off-grid sort of kind of 
because they, they're starting to switch the standards where everything has to be automatic electronic ignition. You can't just have a standing pilot on fireplaces, which is annoying. But because of COVID and, and uh, I guess, constrictions on the ability for CSA to approve stuff is what I've been told, that they haven't been able to get the approvals to be able to legally sell appliances. So they're like, can we go back and sell these standing pilot ones? Because like we can't legally sell these until you put your stamp on them and you're not putting your stamp on them and we're gonna go out of business because we won't be able to sell anything. So they kind of said, yeah, you can sell those for now until we get the paperwork pushed through. Hmm. So good old bureaucracy. So it's, it'll be harder to get those ones, unfortunately. So fireplaces are kind of going out, but until they start getting on the heaters and the water heaters, we'll be in good shape. Yeah. Well, because that's one of the things that I, I want to wonder <clears throat> when you talk about electric heat, like you mentioned that there's a hundred percent efficiency because it all stays in the house. Yeah. But like, I, I mean, I guess efficiency in, in one view, because I always understood that cost wise, I mean, relative to cost, the, the amount of money you're spending for the energy you're using, well, you're, you're spending a lot more money for the energy you're actually getting into your house. Well, so in I mean, this province, which, is, yeah. which was the point I was making is that if electricity was less expensive here, mm -hmm. it would be more viable to heat your house with electricity. Right. But because the cost is so high, and then your return on that investment is so low by comparison to these other fuels that you can use to heat your house, it's a no-brainer. Like you could spend thousands of dollars heating your house in the wintertime here. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I remember even while we were looking at houses a few years ago, it was like, if it was electric, like people would be like, oh, don't go get that one. Oh, it's nothing yeah. to have six, $800 a month in your electricity bill yeah. in the winter because you're heating. And the larger your house, the more you're spending. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's, and that's one of the things, too, that's like a challenge where I wonder sometimes when we talk about trying to switch to all electric heat and stuff like that, that a lot of these ideas might come from more of our urban areas, like, say, Toronto or cities that are closer to the border. And I think that's because that's where our biggest population centers are. And mm -hmm. it's much more feasible, I think, to do something like that there because the climate that they live in is also much yeah. less harsh. And they're also a lot more condensed. Yeah, a lot smaller places to heat as well because you're not heating, you know, fifteen hundred yeah. square foot, two thousand square foot homes. Yeah, you're heating eight hundred square foot apartment. apartments or condos. <laughs> yeah. Now, what's easier, having a condo building that's got two thousand units in it? I don't know how many units right. are in a condo building to vent and run gas to two thousand units for heat, mm -hmm. or run one extra wire while you're doing all the electrical so that you can wire in a 220 heater mm -hmm. in that same space. Right. So that, that part's also easier. You don't have to worry about vents being blocked. You don't have to worry about servicing them as often, I guess. Who knows? You probably have to service them just as often as gas stuff. Right. Which is usually about a year. Okay. Every year they want you to, to check stuff out. But, it, but I think you're right. Electricity down south because it's a milder climate, and because they're heating less square unit square foot, uh, square feet per individual, that makes sense. Yeah, and then you also think too, if you're you have a bunch of people living in one building, you're going to be able to sort of even share heat in a yes, sense, right? Exactly. Because yeah. every room around you is going to be at the roughly the same heat, even by radiant heat. If you don't have your heater on necessarily, yeah. you're going to be pretty close to what your neighbors are going to be. Yeah, even in the apartment building I was in in North Bay before I moved to Sudbury. The, the hallway 
very seldom was the heater was turned on. Like, and it was only nine apartments, one floor, mm -hmm. and there wasn't a, it used to be a spa underneath, um, but that was, they moved, so it was like a vacant lot, vacant, or vacant building <clears> underneath, <throat> and there was no apartments above. So it was just nine apartments on the second floor with really nothing underneath it, and like, sometimes the hallway heaters would have to be turned on. Yeah. Well, and that, that really, I think, is kind of like a, a good way to look at it, too, with, like, efficiency and cost. Because, like, there's a, there's a really big push to go totally electric. And, like, I, it, I just I, I have a hard time getting behind it just living in northern Ontario my whole life and being, like, having experience, like, minus 30 winters all the time. Yeah. Or sometimes where it gets down to minus 40. You know, gas is reliable. And it's not going to break my fucking bank usually. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to break the bank usually to heat your house doing it, right? Right. And I mean, relatively speaking, it's fairly efficient. Now, when it comes to, say, building homes, it might be a good idea to have people build their homes as, as efficient when it comes to conserving heat as possible. Mm -hmm. Or even like, for example, when we were talking about how one of the drawbacks of a, a fireplace is that really a lot of the heat goes straight out. Well, I've seen people now adopting these uh, rocket mass furnaces where they're basically, they're, they have a, a wood stove that's sort of set up in a huge mass, like so made out of stone or concrete. And then basically you're using very little fuel as an input. Although you are using arguably a dirtier fuel than say electric supplied by hydro. Depends because I've actually heard that wood is the least polluting hydrocarbon because all you're doing is recycling the carbon Mm. It's like a forest fire, but like controlled and not burning everything down. Okay. Like, like there's a cycle that wood goes through where it right. grows and then it burns and then it grows and then it burns. So I've heard that argument. Mind mm. you, it was from a company selling wood stoves. Fair enough. Yeah. But, uh, well, it also makes sense in a way because if you think um, like a lot of places like uh, like a big, a big mass of trees, say, every so often is going to burn. And a lot of people think like, oh, it's awful. We're having a forest fire. It's like, well, yes and no. Yes, because we don't like to see destruction of life and all that kind of stuff. And we treasure having uh, big, beautiful green spaces. I think that's why a lot of us live in the north. It's because yeah. we love to be sort of closer to nature and have big, the big, wide outdoors at our, at our fingertips. Yeah. And so when you see the fire, the, the forest fire, you think, oh, my God, this is awful. But really... It's, it's another turning over the cycle of life. All these things sort of have to be burnt and die, and then there's beautiful new growth, and this new forest will grow for another 20 years, yeah. 25 years, and it'll burn again. So it, there, to me, logically, that makes sense. Yeah, and then sort of related, so I, um, if you've ever seen like a, a hole in the ground that was on fire, and it was a natural gas uh, mine or something like that, that mm -hmm. there was a pocket that got punctured and it was releasing methane okay i don't remember how much worse how many times worse methane is as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide i remember hearing it's a lot worse yeah so that's why they light it on fire because oh, it's better to burn it than it's it better is to, to release burn it, it free. than it is just to release the methane into the air right because the reaction of the fire is breaking up the molecules and makes it yeah, easier to break down it, and makes it into carbon dioxide and right. water vapor right so rather than getting methane which is CH4 floating up into the atmosphere, you get carbon dioxide, CO2, floating up there. And then you get water vapor and other stuff as well. But those are the, the two big ones. Because you also get heat and light. Mm -hmm. 
Hmm. Well, that, that reminds me of another thing I heard before, too, where there was um, some project... I want to say Michigan, but I could be wrong on this, but there, there, there's something to do with a water processing plant or a waste processing plant. And the issue was methane was being released into the atmosphere, basically. Mm. And they basically developed a plant that would capture the methane that was being produced by the waste disposal facility mm -hmm. and then burn it as an energy fuel. Yeah. So, like, you know, is it the, the gold thing that you're trying to get to where you have zero emission? No, but are we cutting down on something? Yes. And then there's a lot of, uh, like, the... The waste facility, wastewater management facility in North Bay has a torch mm -hmm. that's always lit and it's just burning the off gases from all the water that they're treating, all the right. wastewater they're treating. Mm -hmm. So there is a breaking point between obviously they would like to be able to capture all of that, mm -hmm. but my, I, don't, I haven't spoken to anybody from the city. It's obviously too expensive to engineer something to capture all of that methane mm -hmm. and all the other gases maybe there's just too many different types of off gases right that they can't isolate the methane and that's the expensive part or mm -hmm. containing it who knows what it is but it's yeah. just light it on fire because it's better than just letting it go in well and then also too once you start capturing it where are you going to store it and what are you going to do with it after that mm -hmm. like are we going to build the equivalent to what they have for nuclear waste facilities where you just have underground storages of methane canisters you store for forever like that yeah. doesn't seem to make sense no because what you would do is you would pressurize what you collect over time okay and then use it right so i mean at the end of the day you're you're going to burn the methane is what i'm like kind of getting at in a way right so yeah i guess it's just you're not putting it to the best possible work just right burning it as an olympic torch every yes day. Yeah, so ideally you would redirect that energy that you're expending there into something that heat water to spin a turbine or whatever. Do like do something else with it that's instead of just breaking it down so it's less pollutant. Cuz that makes me think like, you know, especially if we're going to have, you know, cuz everyone likes to have a a toilet in the city, especially if you live here that you flush it and the things go away and then yeah. you have clean water come into your house. There are toilet there are propane toilet incinerators. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so what's, 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 what's that? <laughs> so it basically is an incinerator. It just incinerates all the stuff. Hopefully you close it and you get off before it happens. <laughs> right. I've never worked on one. My dad's worked on a handful. Um, but yeah, because there, there's three major things you need if you're going to live off with nothing. Right? You need something to heat your house so you don't freeze to death. Right. Something to cook food with. Right. And something to get rid of your waste. Everything else is kind of a luxury. Warm water, luxury. Right. When we're looking at just surviving. Yeah. We need to be able to cook food, heat our shelters, and get rid of our waste in a manageable way. Right. So incinerating it. I guess it's kind of actually it's a reasonable segue from burning the methane at the wastewater management plant. Yeah. And toilet incinerators. Well, it's a smaller scale version. You're just instead of sending your waste because you're say in an off grid situation, you're you're breaking down your waste on site. Yeah, and you don't have to dig a hole for an outhouse. You don't have to put in a septic bed or uh, what's the other one? Uh, septic tank? Uh, I didn't know they were different. I, I was maybe thinking. Thought there was a septic thing. field that was always what we had back home, but I think it had a tank in it. Oh, okay. Maybe it's just the same word for a bunch of different stuff. I've never had to worry about septic, so. Yeah. so you don't have to worry about pumping that out yourself or hiring someone to come out with a truck to pump it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, I, because they're not common, toilet mm -hmm. incinerators aren't cheap. Mm -hmm. and so you can get them so the idea is that it's going to burn your waste and it's like a fire just like sort of like the methane torch we were talking about earlier that just burns it to get rid of it basically 
Okay. Because then I'm wondering there, if you're living in an off-grid situation and you have this little poop flame that you're going to have there, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not use that to, I mean, it's an extra little burst of heat in the house in the wintertime, right? Yeah, I don't know what the, I, I don't know what the procedure is and where, right. if all the heat just get outside or right. um, if you do recover some heat inside and just the gases, uh, the flue gases go outside, but I'll have to maybe yeah. look, look into those a little bit more. But yeah, yeah you can some get, people might be interested. Yeah. <laughs> You guys want to put one in? No. no. Well, I've seen like the, the compost toilets before toilets, and yeah. like that was kind of intriguing. It's definitely a lot more work, but it's another yeah. one of those things where like you look at it and you're like, well, maybe we're kind of being a little, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it sounds like a silly thing to say like, all right, it's just poop. We're adults, right? It's like we all poop. It's not a big deal. Right. And then you look at it and you're like, well, really this is a fuel that we're just kind of flushing down the pipe or even a manure or whatever it is the case might be. You have to mm -hmm. process it a little bit or take care of it the right way. Well, you have to eat the right food too, I would imagine. Well, I mean, yeah, when you get down to like the nitty gritty of it. Because like it reminds me of hearing about, I think it was in um, like North Korea where like yeah. you weren't allowed to like hide your you had, poop basically. You had to, there was poop quotas. Yeah, you had according, to turn in. Exactly. a couple of books. Well, and the reason I would understand that is because it's a valuable fuel source in a country that doesn't have access to a lot of fuel so if we're talking and this isn't in a direct comparison but if in an off-grid situation you have limited fuel sources available to you right mm -hmm. and so if you think about that you think oh well this is an output i can turn back into an input so like the incinerator is a, is a different way of going about it than say like a compost toilet mm -hmm. that's doing the the hum, human humanure i think they call it humanure yeah it's kind of clever and kind of gross at the same time <laughs> well, yeah it's manure yeah yeah well but it, it's it's one of those things that you you just i mean when you get into gardening and stuff like that or you get into farming or trying to think about living off grid it's like all of these things that are dying gotta be put back into something that's living again it's there's no way of getting around it and it, it's like that book that apparently a lot of kids read everybody poops so i mean everybody poops yeah and if you don't you're don't last long yeah, you'd be very sick. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that's really interesting with the incinerator toilet. Mm -hmm. so there's, there's really nothing propane can't do. It can keep your milk cold, it can vaporize your poop, and <laughs> uh, keep your house warm. Yeah, it can do all that. Yeah. And you can boil water with it, and, you know, reasonable things that people talk about over dinner conversation. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a lot. The, the, the propane fridge is really is is interesting yeah well because um th th there was something i remember hearing about fridges a long time ago and it was like um maybe when you're a kid you don't really think about what it is that a fridge is you just open the door like it's cold in there so therefore the machine that's in the fridge makes cold yeah but i i think it's like the opposite it just removes heat is actually what it is right uh so the propane fridges work electric fridges i'm useless i think it's the same principle like a well, so in a propane fridge, the, the burner boils an ammonia solution. Okay. And then that ammonia vapor goes up through the coil and then goes down a bunch of other coils that are in strategic places and diameters. And then as it cools down, uh, or as it condenses in there, it's actually pulling heat out of the, the fridge and pulling heat out of the freezer. So the condensing gas is a heat sink in a way. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't think I have it a hundred percent, but that's basically it. 
you boil it, you boil the ammonia solution, mm -hmm. and then as the vapor condenses, it draws heat out of the fridge cabinet, mm -hmm. gets recycled down, and it becomes not just liquid, just liquid ammonia. Right. It goes back down through the coil, gets boiled again, yeah. and it, uh, it's a cycle. As long as that burner stays going and mm -hmm. there's no plugs in the coil, that fridge will keep, just keep cooling. Well, now I'm thinking about seeing like an older refrigerator and seeing the old coils they had on the back and they were plug-in refrigerators. So I would think it's probably the same thing. Uh, it's similar. Yeah, or at least, least similar. Like, cause like to me, it's like, uh, basically the propane is being used to heat something up to, so we can condense the gas is the idea, right? Yeah. And then you've got, cause on a, uh, I'd probably get this wrong on an electric fridge, you have a compressor don't know if you have a compressor on a propane fridge. Okay, so maybe... I know how to fix them. I don't know exactly every part that I can't service on them is. Because I can only work on the gas stuff. Right. So the gas control, the gas line feeding it, the venting. That's what I can work on. Mm -hmm. It's anything to do with the refrigerant. Right. Or the actual mm -hmm. operation of like all of the coils and fins and tubes that go into the cabinet and all right. that. Not me. Right. So I, is there a refrigeration tech for that kind of thing, I guess, or? Uh, I don't know anybody that does it anymore. There used to mm -hmm. be, back in the day, there used to be people that would recharge ammonia solution in propane fridges. I've heard about something like that before getting a fridge recharged. I don't know of anybody anywhere nearby that still does it. Right. So it might be the case that people, because, say, they're using uh, a propane fridge, and say they have it in a camp, let's say, mm -hmm. they're not using it very often, say they're using it three, four months out of the year. And then they're kind of shutting it off. And so they're probably getting 20, 30 years out of it without having any real issues. Generally so, speaking. Yeah. So if something goes on it, they're, they're probably more likely to jump for something that's likely to be more efficient anyways and just get the new one. So uh, yeah. So it's a big one. investment. Well, for older fridges, if you can get parts for it, it's usually worth the investment depending on what's wrong with it. New fridges are $2,500 and up. So I'm getting out of that six, then. A six cubic foot fridge. So getting out of that, then there must be still a pretty good supply of like aftermarket parts where you can still fix a lot of that. You'd stuff. love to think that. No. No. <laughs> no. There's there's fridges that are less than ten years old that have discontinued parts, which is really unfortunate and a huge piss off because they're not cheap. Somebody spent thirty five hundred dollars seven years ago on a fridge and they yeah. need a new X. X has been discontinued. Well, is there anything that's a substitute? Nope. Well, as a gas technician who's licensed and insured, I can't just pick up a gas control and throw it in because mm -hmm. uh, I'm modifying the approval of the appliance. So I could do that, but mm -hmm. if that house cottage burns down and the customers aren't as honorable as they claimed they would be if anything bad happened because right. I did this, then I might be out of a company, out of a job, who knows? Hopefully nobody died. Yeah, exactly. Um, that sort of stuff. So okay. um, it's really tricky because there's a lot of stuff in cottage country. When you get out there and you see it, and you're like, huh, that's not to go. What? Where do I start? Right. Yeah. It's been like that for 35 years. That's, I'm not saying it didn't work for 35 years. I'm yeah. saying that it's tough for me to look at this and then leave and say everything's okay. Yeah, well, because the all all of the regulations and the standards must change. Uh, like, I mean, that's two generations you're almost talking about there, right? I mean, forty-five years, thirty-five years. Yeah, the gas code installation book is uh, usually about a five-year cycle. Right. 
So they get about 300 bucks off every gas company in Ontario, at least, because that's where TSSA is the uh, authority, uh, authority of the jurisdiction. Uh, and uh, so you have to buy a new code book when they come out. And they're usually three, $300, $350. Right. So every five years, CSA group makes 300 times however many heating contractors there are. Right, right. And so my next question, small changes. But. My next question on that then would be, is how much efficiency are we gaining over a five-year period? Or how much is actually changing in the field in a five-year period? Especially considering that a lot of the stuff that you're, say, going to come into contact in the field with is older. Mm -hmm. You know, how much advantage are we getting out of having a new standard every five years if in practice in the field a lot of the equipment is, A, much older? And, and then I guess the first question I meant to ask, too, was then how much efficiency are we gaining in these new machines? So are we, are we sort of like... Read like remaking the wheel in a way like we put out a new furnace every year, but it's not really any better than the furnace five years ago. And are we kind of just maybe putting undue pressure on consumers that way? Well, yes and no. So yes, in my niche of the industry, you're right. Not mm -hmm. much has changed, but you look over the last five, 10, 15 years and the evolution of uh, appliances in homes, mm -hmm. whether it's ranges going from convection ovens being four thousand dollars because they needed to be engineered like crazy and um, now they're much more affordable so you're seeing more and more of them so the standards have to be right up because right. basically the companies are making stuff like that before we're like well let's make something that works and does what we want mm -hmm. and then there's other companies that do copycat stuff so they would want to right sure it's always cheaper to be that. not the person who's innovating you're the yeah. person coming in after um forced air furnaces over the last 15 years have just been completely overhauled to what they used to be. They're way more electronic now. They've got brains in them like your car does almost. Maybe not as sophisticated as the car. Maybe as sophisticated. Not an electrical, electrical engineer, I don't know. Right. Um, On-demand water heaters. Right. Have been a huge uh, innovation throughout the world over the last 10 or 15 years. Well, at least in Canada through the 10, last 10, 15 years. I don't know what they use in Europe or Japan or... Mm -hmm. China, wherever, um, but those things are always changing. And then what will also happen is the manual, installation manual will get approved and then, oh, we shouldn't let those things be that close. So the code requirement needs to, needs to change mm -hmm. so that we can do that. If it's dangerous enough, we'll do what's called a director's order. Okay. And they just, it's a blanket statement saying you cannot, if you see this fireplace, Mm -hmm. You have to shut the gas off and tag it because we've had too many incidents where the glass just explodes out from it right into the living space because of delayed ignition or whatever the cause is. Right. And then in the next code, so within the next five years, sometimes, maybe not that specific example, but they'll take something that they've seen in the field a lot mm -hmm. and they'll put it into the code as a, as a thing. That's what happened to gas uh, propane fridges. People stopped people were bypassing the carbon monoxide detectors because that was an important safety right. to ensure that you didn't die from carbon monoxide poisoning. Well, people would bypass them because what's the big deal? And then they'd wake up dead. Yeah, exactly. And, and enough people did that where they said, yeah, well, 
if you want a propane fridge installed in a dwelling, now it has to be direct fed. Right. Bar none. So for me to go and install a fridge in mm. a dwelling, <clears throat> the way that I define it is kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, or any combination of the three in that building, the dwelling has to be direct fed. So I can't install a carbon monoxide fridge in that space. You can install them in a garage, you can install them in a, like a porch that's separate, not like a three season room, but like a separate outdoor porch, uh, a storage shed, mm -hmm. anything that people basically aren't sitting down. Right, yeah, that type like, of thing. Because you're gonna be laying down, going to bed in the, in the house kind of thing, which mm -hmm. is the dwelling part of it, right? And that's usually, like you said, the wake up dead part. Yeah. Yeah. And it, all because people were bypassing safeties. Because they couldn't make the safeties more strict because people were just cutting them out anyway. Yep. So now they're like, okay, well, everyone has to suffer. Well, that's that's the other thing with regulations and being from a small community and, and growing up around what people might call rednecks. You have regulations or you have like, you know, oh, you got to have this kind of catalytic converter on your truck. The first thing you do in my town when you're 16 years old, 17 years old, and you get a truck, you cut that catalytic converter off because yeah. it sounds way cooler. Yeah. And like, so, I mean, it's that, that's the thing, too, with people is people are going to kind of do what people are going to do. Now, in that case specifically, we're talking about like, you know, cool noise with no real harm and waking up dead in the morning. So like with one of those kind of things, you're like, oh, well, this is a pain in the ass, so I'm going to skip this regulation, but it's yeah. actually kind of a good regulation in a way where it's like, you know, you shouldn't do that because you could get carbon dioxide in your house and that'll kill you. Yeah, it's not, it wasn't even all, part of it was the monitor, but the other part of it is somebody's bypassing the safety. They're not getting a technician to go in and clean that properly every year and inspect it and make sure it's working properly. Right. So it's probably been sitting there for 15 years, like you said, not fired for three quarters of the year. Yeah. And then the, the year they're like, well, yeah, it's not working now. Let's get this thing out of here. And oh, look, it's working. Keep it going. And that's where right. stuff happens. Yeah, it's fine until it's not. You're like, oh, it's been fine. It's been fine. It's been fine. And then as things get older, it's, it's going to stop venting properly or whatever the case might be. And then you're in trouble. Yeah, the, the problem is the recirculation of combustion products. So you've got nice fresh air inside the house mm -hmm. and it's using that air and it's putting it back into the house. Right. So they, they burn pretty clean. Most fridges nowadays will run between 20 to 30 parts per million CO when they get going, which okay. is if you had the windows closed, you'd probably get a little lightheaded. Okay. Maybe, depending on your sensitivity to it. But if you had a window cracked, like right. nothing. Uh, once, if everything was closed up, once all that fresh, nice combust uh, oxygen is used up, now it's recirculating spent combustion air. Right. So it's now performing incomplete combustion, which is when you start getting an exponential increase in carbon monoxide. Right. So, my opinion. The fridge probably, fridges probably weren't serviced as well as they should have been or as often as they should have been. The carbon monoxide monitor was bypassed and there was little to no fresh air infiltration in the, uh, in the area. Right. But why not just slap a direct vent everything? Well, when you mentioned that too, where the direct vent thing, that also just seems like a foolproof, foolproof solution, right? Where it's like, you just run the air outside. Yeah, the problem is... If uh, 
If you've ever tried to light a match outside or uh, start a light a lighter mm -hmm. when it's windy out, mm -hmm. well, a flame on a propane fridge is only about 1,500 BTUs. Okay. So it's small. <clears throat> and it has to vent from the bottom. And functions are really, but for comparison, 1,500 BTUs, what kind of flame size are we talking about? Just, or is that even relevant? Not even my pinky, last last part of my pinky. Okay, so like, uh, like it's a little bigger than what you have on a big lighter, really. Yeah, right. pretty much. It's sharp blue. Um, if it's burning real nice, it looks like a little crown. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's not any more round than a loony. Okay. And it might be about that tall, but most of it's here. And this tall is just like the, the, the cone tip because it's going up the flue. Okay. And so the problem with the small flame is? You need thermal draft to start and maintain itself. So when you have a wood fireplace, so the reason it drafts is because the chimney stack is hotter than the outside temperature. Okay. Which is really easy because wood's on fire right of course the steel is going to get hot there's a bunch of heat in the box so the bottom of the chimney or the stack temperature is up i think on those it's 400 degrees on wood right don't, don't quote me about 400 degrees so the temperature differential from the bottom of the chimney stack to the outside temperature is so great that just the matter of it being hot air and cold air being outside it just vents up through the roof okay so that's like however many thousands of BTUs in a wood stove. And that's like when you first start up a wood stove in a cold cabin, say, first it smokes up the cabin and then it goes up through. Because you have to build up that stack temperature. And that right. also gives you your efficiency if you can dial that in. I don't remember what it is for wood stoves, but... Right. Not a wood stove expert, don't need to worry right, about exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> um, with a propane fridge, so you have the same type of effect you're trying to create because there's no fan. Like on the furnace in your house right now, there's a, a venture motor blows and pushes all of the flue gases outside right so that, that's why you can have low flue gas temperatures you can condense the water vapor in there recapture that increased efficiency right all these wonders of innovation and engineering that people have thought of and implemented for home heating and everything right but you don't have fan assist you don't have any kind of blower on these propane fridges because it would require power right which needs you know, you can't be on an island without power and use this fridge. Right. So it's almost like there needs to be some form of a, a little, like a, I'm being, I'll be facetious, a little Dollarama fan right. that you can put batteries in and just turn on and it just helps the air move through the pipes. Because what will happen, and I don't even think, the, this again, all my opinion, I don't even think the air blows in and down to blow out flames. What I think happens, because I've seen it happen in other situations. So you've got your fridge fired up and it's been running for eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And a strong wind comes and a gust is like, let's say it lasts for about 10 seconds. So on a fridge, there's a, on a direct vent fridge, there's two two inch PVC pipes that go at the back. One brings air in, one exhausts. Okay. And it's moving as fast as that little flame can kind of pull air in it needs for combustion and then the thermal draft will pull it up and vent it outside right well if you've got wind and then so out of those two pipes there's uh two there's a t on each pipe 
Okay. So there's an opening at the top, opening at the top, opening at the bottom, opening at the bottom. So it's pulling air in from top and bottom for combustion, and then it's venting it out, and most of it's going out the top, obviously, because heat rises. If you get a wind that just goes across the top of those, top and bottom of those two vent pipes, for long enough to stagnate that thermal draft because it's such a small amount of heat, mm -hmm. it just consumes all of the oxygen in the venting system and the flame goes out. Mm. Now try to relight that burner when you don't have oxygen in your in your uh, in your flue, because it happens when you go to light them for the first time and there's no air movement. You go to light it and you're hoof, right? And then you try to light it again and there's nothing. Well, you. You've spent all the oxygen that it had access to, mm. so there's no more oxygen. It's just carbon dioxide and water vapor, theoretically. Right. right. So you're pumping in propane like crazy, right. spark, 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 spark. Right. But there's a um, so you're like kind of flooding the carburetor. Then the oxygen comes back, and you go to relight it, and you get fucking boom. Well, luckily right. it doesn't happen as bad. But uh, but basically you've got this upper limit and lower limit of combustibility. So for propane, it's somewhere from two, let's see if I can get the numbers exactly right. 2.4% to, uh, it's two to six or 7%. And then nat natural gas is like four to nine. I don't think I have those flipped, but I haven't looked at those in a while. So if you've got way more, not only no oxygen, but now you're pumping in tons of propane, yeah, that, it's not lighting. So mm -hmm. what we tell customers to do is like, okay, well, when that happens, it's not a defect. It's it's just physics right. manifesting itself for you. Is you have to go outside, and now you're also at a cottage with no power potentially. So it's like, just hook up your air compressor. Plug it in. Can't plug it in. I don't have anything to plug it in with. Right. Do you have a leaf blower? It's like, why would I have a leaf blower at the cottage? Like, you get all these... Yeah. All right. You have a little portable dollar amp. Just go to Dollar Amp. It's like I'm three hours from town. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I even had to tell customers like, okay, well, what you're gonna have to do is like plug the the top or the bottom, whichever is easier, and uh, on your combustion air intake, and just blow. Right. Just exhale, and just try to try to get some air flowing through it. And then it'll light and it'll run for a while. Right. So. All you have to do is stop that thermal for a moment with the propane fridges, mm -hmm. and it goes out. They do have relight kits, which mm -hmm. is handy, as long as you didn't burn all the oxygen in the vent pipe, because it's not a revent kit; it's a relight kit that automatically detects as there's no flame and sparks. Right. Well, and then because that's that's the thing you got to think of, right? It gets down right to the basics of fire in general, right? You got to have it's a triangle, I think, right? A certain amount of fuel. A certain amount of oxygen and a certain amount of heat. That's how you get your fire, right? Yeah, that's the starting point. And the further you get into it, it becomes a tetrahedron. And yeah, well, of course, it gets geometric after that, right? Yeah. Well, I guess it starts out it gets geometric. More, gets more complex. Yeah. But yeah, so you're basically starving the fire of oxygen, which is what a fire extinguisher does. Yep. And and some of them, depending on the type of fire extinguisher, of course, some of them remove the heat element from it. And right. That sort of thing. But yeah. Well, yeah, because that's another thing I've wondered, too, about, like, say, a furnace. And, like, you were talking about how it's got the fan on that, like, and that's got some kind of electric pole. And and I, I think it's because, like, you look at the the vents that come out of the house, they look like they're all PVC pipe, like you were talking about with the fridge, right? Yeah. And I wonder if, like, 
Don't they have like um, fans that are essentially propelled by like heat? Like I've seen these on old wood stoves before where yeah. it's, a, it's a totally metal fan mm -hmm. and basically the heat, it must be induction, the heat, the heat's up the base and the base has some kind of, like maybe there's a difference between the heat that comes up from the base to the heat of the blade and that causes the blade to spin or? I think it's just the amount of heat that the, and I could be wrong. I think it's just the amount of heat that's rising, spinning the fan. There could be an element of a wood stove heating it up because mm. we've had people ask about those. Say, so we've got this little fan you just put on a wood stove and it just fires, fires away. Yeah. It's like, well, the propane unit's not going to get as hot as your wood stove. Right. So they don't work as well on the propane units. Well, because I was just thinking, like, say, if instead of having, like, uh, an electric... Now, this is kind of off in La La Land, but if you had, like, instead of, like, a plastic vent, right, you had a metal vent or, say, a cast iron um, uh, manifold for your outlet, that's something that'll hold a lot of heat, and you put one of these sort of, like, heat induction fans right in the tube... Could you not power it from the heat that you're like? I mean, possibly. Yeah. There's no way of really knowing that. I guess. Money. Yeah. So well, now you have to redesign it. So you have to hire. You have to get engineers to design something that's going to be a functioning unit. Then you have to apply yeah. for the approval of that, which is all costs money. Yeah. And uh, assuming that the material yeah. cost is going to be higher. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Now, no, most. I'm glad my most uh, direct vent fridges work fine all the time. Yeah. It's just there's these few cases that we see repeatedly come up mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, it sucks, but here's a solution. It right. works. Right. It's a little inconvenient and it's not super common. Right. Because we've got a, we've got some customers who run their propane fridges all year round. Mm. Right. Because they don't have a regular fridge and they live in their off-grid home. Because they don't have power, they don't want to run a generator 24-7, which I totally understand. Yep. Just the noise, the fuel cost, whether it's propane, natural gas, or gasoline, the fuel cost to run a generator all day seems like a, you got too much money and you know what to do with. Just yeah. Literally burning it. Yeah. So most of the propane fridges do work well 99% of the time. Yeah, and, and like you're talking about using a generator, say, you're talking about using like a whole lot of fuel to power kind of everything where you could use uh, like, a, like a propane fridge, which is probably not burning all that much fuel for what it's doing. Like it's probably fairly low energy input to keep the fridge cool. Yeah, so right now, for example, um, you're looking at a, a reasonably sized propane fridge. So the most common sizes are going to be an 8 and a 10 cubic foot fridge. So they're half the size of a regular household fridge. Right. They're going to use, depending on your three main factors, which is how much food is in the fridge to keep cold, how often you're opening the door and letting cold out, and how hot the ambient temperature is around the fridge. Right. The higher and the more frequent those are, you're going to use more propane, just like you would use more electricity with a fridge in your house. Yep. So, say you're within reason, moderation for all three of those. Uh, you're going to use about a pound a day, maybe a pound and a half on like really warm days where you can't control what the sun's doing. Right. So a hundred pound cylinder, if you take a pound a day is a hundred days. Right. And that's going to be about 
right now it's somewhere around a dollar 35 per pound at my parents store so Costco and distributors are going to be cheaper than that probably but so $135 well if you only ran that fridge for those 100 days and let's say used a pound a day you'd be a dollar 35 a day to keep your fridge full okay well that's that's pretty reasonable it it's yeah, it sounds like a lot less. Now, buying the propane cylinder and the regulator and the installation right. in the fridge, now you're looking at thousands of dollars up front, but going forward, right. that would be your fuel input. Now, right. running your fridge in your house is probably a maybe, well, I don't know what the math would be, but it wouldn't be anywhere near that high. Right, yeah. It would be much lower. Right, well, now, that's one of those things, too, where you're living off-grid, say, in this situation where the only thing in your house that's regularly using energy is really going to be that fridge or whatever it might be, right? Like you're, like you're looking at the cost of like sort of running the household for a day, a dollar thirty-five to keep your food cold. And if you're just if you're just out there kind of doing your own thing, you don't really need much else, anyways, unless you want to be watching TV and stuff. But then why be out in the beautiful outdoors if you're going to be inside watching your TV? Yeah. Like, because like, like I, I think about a lot of these cottage situations where really like you need to keep your food cold and then outside of that you need to heat your food up and you need to heat the cabin right so if you got those three things covered most of the summer you're not heating the cabin because it's hot you're going to keep your food cold so that's fine and then you got your your stove and if you're only cooking say two meals a day or maybe you're cooking three meals a day let's say you're really living out large you're not really burning all that much fuel you're talking about relatively low fuel expense for the day so, I mean, like, I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know. I think it's like a, I kind of worry sometimes about like, uh, we're, we're running away too fast from fossil fuels. Like, I understand that they're not perfect and they do emit carbon and all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, isn't it kind of the nature of anything that we're going to do as people that we're going to release carbon in the atmosphere? I mean, I mean, I understand the, the harm reduction, the, the mitigation, like we want to be as efficient as possible. I understand all that. But like, I, I worry sometimes that like, in an effort to do something great, we're sort of throwing away something that's really good. Well, it's, to use some, an old adage, it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. It's like we're, it, unless they do something, I, I've heard rumors they're going to knock electricity pricing down to something like two kilowatt hour, two cents per kilowatt hour during the night. So you can charge your car and that's when it's coldest usually. So you're mm -hmm. heating your house. Um, and if they, if they do that, then it's a, a, you have to have access to the hydro grid. Right. Right. Like if you're an off grid camp or you're in the middle of the lake, do you have several hundred thousand dollars to bury a cable in the lake out to your camp? Yeah, you're I mean, not going to do something like that. If you're off-grid, you're going to be burning the fossil fuel because yeah. you're not going to have an electric car. But even people that are just in cottages and hunt camps, they're just so far off the beaten path. It, it, yeah. it would be a hundred grand to run a line just on poles. Yeah. Like, so it it's not reasonable for those areas. But depending on how, for the majority of the people in the uh, in the province... If they made electricity affordable, and depending on how they made and produced the electricity, mm -hmm. it could be significantly better than everybody doing natural gas and propane. Right. Which is actually not good for me to say out loud, being a propane 
heating guy. Right. But if they were doing everything uh, in the most uh, renewable way, mm -hmm. with the least amount of waste and byproduct being emitted and creating enough electricity, because that's the other issue is how much electricity do you not need to generate mm -hmm. if every house is being heated by electricity? Yeah, exactly. Because like how that, much power they're using. They would need, so would our transmission lines need to be upgraded? Right. What needs, what, there's going to be more plants of producing electricity, like, right. What needs to change? And if it's big enough now to implement all of this, why are you guys so late to producing the cost of doing this? Right. Um, but that, so that, that is a possible solution for probably 75, 80% of the province. If they make electricity cheap enough where everybody can charge their cars mm -hmm. and heat their homes and cook their food and heat their water, with electricity, well, that's probably the way it's going to go. But right. how much needs to be subsidized? And there, there's a true cost to stuff, so it's not yeah. just the cost of the homeowner. Yeah, it's not going to happen overnight, right? Well, and that, that that's a good point, though, too, right? Like the infrastructure that goes into doing that. And then you consider especially how Canada, although we have most of our population lives along the border, or say within 200 kilometers of the border, there is still a substantial amount of our population that lives out kind of on their own or lives in mm -hmm. very rural rural or secu secluded areas. And again, too, like I can't help but feel that's a little bit of a part of our Canadian spirit. Like I think like for me, when I was growing up, I always thought it was like so cool as Canadians that we had such a big, beautiful outdoors. We could go out and explore every day. And I always like uh, enjoyed going to friends and family members cabins in the summertime and, and being out. And like, you know, there was no one really nearby and you could go out swimming in the lake or go out on a walk and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And like, that's one of the things that I worry we, we like might lose in a way too, as we try to do that now, like you said, if they could make the cost of electricity sufficient, then you can, then, then, then go ahead. But then the problem is like, yeah, well, the infrastructure of getting the electricity there, how are we magically going to make it way cheaper to produce electricity with and, the means that we're already using? And exponentially create and produce more electricity. Well, exactly. So it's like, it can be done. We've done um, remarkable things as a species. So I'm not saying it can't be yeah. done. It's just like the how part is always the mm -hmm. devil's in the details. Well, cause then I think too, like um, from what I understand, like with our hydropower, let's take for example, we, we produce a lot of hydroelectricity. And from what I understand, we sell a lot of it to the States. No, well, <laughs> I heard once at one point too, so. Not sure. We actually pay other jurisdictions to take the extra electricity. So not only are we consuming, are we cre we're producing more than we need, we're producing more than we consume, we're not even selling it. We're either giving it away for free or paying them, which means we're giving them energy and money. Mm -hmm. But it's like, why can't we just turn the, can we not just turn the dial down a little bit? Is like, is that possible? Can we turn off one of those turbines, like block the water? going into that turbine because we're making mm -hmm. too much. So in, Nor in a, I don't know if this is true, but in Ontario per capita, I would have to look up the numbers. I think we use one of the lowest kilowatt hours per month mm -hmm. as a household, as an individual. Right. And we have one of the highest bills. It's, it's mm -hmm. that disproportionate. 
it seems like that's a, a common thing in Ontario. Like, I remember hearing this about even cell phone bills back in the day and our insurance we pay on our cars. It seems for some reason in Ontario we pay way more than everybody else pays for everything else. And, and to that effect, too, when we're talking about that we produce so much energy that we're literally paying people to take it, if this is the case. Or even just giving it away for free, not or even selling it. even that, even if that is yeah. the case. And the idea is that we want to have more people using energy. Does it not make sense instead of paying people year after year to buy your excess energy to create a new output that requires energy? And if the idea is to have more electric heated houses, well, maybe that's the push. Well, why not? Why? why like, I mean, that's the like. If if I were a say politician, I would think um, instead of paying, let's say, Buffalo or New York to buy our energy. Why don't we give some kind of a, a benefit to a taxpayer, a person who's going to build a house, give them an incentive to put all electric heat in? Well, that might be the incentive that they're pushing to go towards electric heat is because we've been doing it this way so many years. Right. We obviously have the capacity and infrastructure, but we don't have the consumption, which is because the price per kilowatt hour here is too high. Mm -hmm. So people are always reducing their usage. They're buying more and more LED bulbs, they're not using incandescents. But even as we're talking about that, I'm thinking to myself that the cost of energy is high, but if we have an excess supply, that should, by the laws of economics, drive the cost down. Yeah. So if, if the people who were, say, taking care of our energy needs were really trying to take care of the people in this country, it would make sense to me that if we have an abundance of energy, the energy should cost less because we have more... So, this, this goes back to the same thing we were just talking about, about paying someone else to take the energy. That's foolish. Mm -hmm. I mean, you should be putting it into someone's, like, if, if we're going to complain that someone doesn't have enough money to heat their house and we're literally paying someone to take energy that we could be using to heat that person's house, that's absolutely foolish yeah. and totally, I'll, like, I, I, I mean, hope it's not true. I, there, there must be some nuanced thing here I'm missing, but it's totally well, inexcusable if I that's hope, the case. Yeah, exactly. I hope it's not true. I hope I misremembered or misrepresented yeah. something. But I, I, I believe I've but, heard the same thing. And like when you think about that, it's like, okay, well, we have an abundance of energy, which makes sense because Canada is beautiful and full of all kinds of resources. And then we have people who are saying they don't have enough money to spend on energy. And you have all these governments who, who run on these big government programs where they want to take care of people. And you look at that right there, you're like, well, we all need energy. If you could, if, if you could just basically cut people's electricity bill by a quarter or whatever mm -hmm. with their tax dollars. Or even keep it the same, but give them a quarter more usage. More work, or, yeah, or whatever the case might be. I mean, it just seems foolish to me that as a country we would produce energy if this is the case and sell it. I mean, I mean, it makes me think that there's someone obviously getting paid for it in the end, right? Like that's that's usually the way business kind of works. Yeah, but yeah, because that because that 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 really would be the sticking point of say switching away from more hydrocarbon fuels to a more say electric source from hydroelectricity is if we could make the cost of it lower. And if, if it's a, if it's, it's, well, it's obviously not a supply issue. If it's not a supply issue, then if these, these politicians want to regulate stuff all the time, well, what the hell is going on here? Where, where, where they're making off like bandits getting paid for electricity. Cause I think as far as I understand, we're, I think we have private electricity or private like energy in this country or sorry, in this and province. I think 15% of hydro one is privately owned. It's really only that. 
think it's only that. Hmm. Because, like, I'm trying to think now, back home it was always Hydro One. Here we're on... Uh, GSU. Yeah, GSU, Greater Sudbury yeah. Utility. And then North Bay is North Bay Hydro. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so is, I guess those would all be sort of state-owned in a sense, like they're owned by the, the city, let's say? <sighs> oh, uh, I would imagine part of it, but it, it's hard to say. But the nice thing is if you just go with propane and everything, you don't even have to worry about paying electric bills of course of course but I'll, like, I'll, like that's the thing though is like i'm saying like if if the if uh people who are arguing against using hydrocarbons want them to work they have to overcome these hurdles and if they're not going to do that then it's always going to be an obvious choice for the consumer that you're going to burn hydrocarbons yeah there's a so for the fridges anyway Solar fridges are becoming a lot more efficient and affordable, mm -hmm. especially compared to a propane fridge. Now, with a propane fridge, the common setup is 200-pound cylinders, an automatic changeover regulator, so your fridge doesn't die in the middle of the night. It'll automatically switch over to the full tank. Uh, and then your copper tubing, flex connector, shutoff valve, all the fun code stuff that we install. Um, that's the common setup. Now, right now, I'm going to try to do the math in my head. So one propane cylinder right now is about $250. $240, $235, depends where you find them. $230 is probably the lowest I've seen. So $230, we're buying two of those. Mm -hmm. So it's $460. Regulator's probably going to be at least $100. Or $560. Plus pigtails and materials and all that, you're probably at another $100, give or take, all said and done. Uh, so $660 plus installation. If it's a direct vent fridge, it's going to be a few hours. So you're already over $1,000 just installing one brand new if you don't have any setup already. If you have an existing propane setup, you're just buying the fridge, mm -hmm. you're in a lot better shape. But if you're just doing that, I don't know how much a uh, small bank of solar batteries and a panel costs. Right. But the fridge is half the price. Right. So... There's going to be a point where you're going to start seeing less and less, or fewer and fewer, I should say, propane fridges on the market and in use. You're going to see more and more solar ones. But with electricity to generate heat, which is why it's so uh, demanding on the, the grid to generate heat with electricity, whether you're using that to cook with an oven, heat water, or heat the home, you're generating a lot of heat. That's where your biggest draws come from. So for heating the building, for heating your food and heating your water for off-grid applications, like I'm privy to, those are probably going to stay propane for as long as propane's a thing. Right. Like the lights have already kind of gone by the wayside. Like a propane light nowadays is, they, they start about $120, $130. And the mantles for those less expensive lights are almost $10 a piece. And if you look at them sideways or sneeze too loud, they break and you have to put a new one on because they're so brittle. Mm -hmm. Right. So like the cost isn't there. LED lights with a little panel, like a tiny battery, you're, you're set. Right. They basically just gone out. Um, there's still people that buy them. There's still people that uh, use them, but they're, they're right on their last leg. Right. And then... Propane fridges, I think, is the next domino to fall. It's going to take longer because there's 
a lot more propane fridges out there. There's people who already have the cylinder set up and the gas line run and all that. So it's just, uh, well, I don't want to invest X thousands in a solar system yet. Right. So I know I'm going to save a grand on the fridge, but I'm not to put a solar system in here for what I want. It's going to cost me five grand or four grand or whatever it is. It's like, I'll spend three grand on a fridge because I know it'll work and keep the propane fridge going for now. So we're probably people in two to three fridge generations from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to be switching. Mostly you're going to see solar fridges. Right. Because they just run on low 24, low 20, uh, 12 volt DC supplies. Mm-hmm. And they work nearly as well as propane fridges because they keep food cold and frozen. That's what you want a fridge to do. And they, mm-hmm. they obviously do that enough where people keep buying them. Right. And do you just service off-grid or? Nope. No. Nope. I'll do um, like range conversions for people who buy a range at uh, any of the furniture stores in town, like Bianco's or Roy's or Home Depot or wherever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they live on grid, but they have propane. I'll convert it and install it. Same thing with dryers. Uh, I also do most natural gas appliances, uh, except boilers. I don't do a whole lot of boilers. Hydronic heating was never really a thing for us because for hydronic heating, you need circulation pumps and controls that require electricity mm-hmm. so you don't see too much of that out in the country where somebody's right. got a, a a boiler heating system with either tube uh, radiant uh, radiators on the baseboards or right in the the floor so that i don't do but forced air furnaces and pretty much everything else i'll look at look into even toilet incinerators i'll have to read up on them. <laughs> yeah well uh Thanks for coming and talking to us about all kinds of energy and heat because, Thanks uh, for having me. yeah, I mean, uh, when it comes down to propane, the, 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 the really interesting thing about it is it's not just as simple as just a, a gas, really. It's, you got to know all about energy, energy expenditure and, and how efficient you're being and all that. And that's exactly what you have to consider when you're having, um, machinations, let's say about becoming off grid or self-sufficient. You have to really consider what kind of energy you're using and what kind of energy you're spending or what your needs are. Yeah. And so I think uh, a lot of people probably get a lot of that. So yeah. thanks again for... And then this is just a bonus teaser because I don't know much about them yet. You can also, because an offshoot or a byproduct of combustion is carbon dioxide, mm-hmm. they make carbon dioxide generators for greenhouses. I've, I've seen those and heard of those, yeah. I haven't found one that's approved in Canada explicitly yet, mm-hmm. but that's another use for, for propane or natural gas. Well, and then now, now no, we're kind no, of getting to something. To get into well, new. just as a little, just as a little, just teaser. a thing I have to think about because when I think about that is like you think about people living in an area like we do and having an, a, a product of your heating system, let's say being carbon dioxide. Well, it's like, oh, how can we turn that into an input? If you figure out a way to have a greenhouse and a regular house live side by side in harmony, the problem is, is the humidity and a whole bunch of other stuff. But yeah, that kind of like I start that, those those kind of ideas give me hope for the future. All right, Scott, so uh, where can anyone get a hold of you get a hold of your services? So if anyone gets a hold of me, uh, generally I do free estimates and quotes on in-site visits for installations and sales, that sort of thing. You can call me or text me on my cell, 705-492-0535, or send me an email, scott at papapropane.ca, S-C-O-T-T at P-A-P-A-P-R-O-P-A-N-E.ca. Perfect. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks.